We're back and welcome to one of the highlights of our week. And that is our visit with Gordon Chang, a truly epically important figure in our national understanding of and effort to contend with the Chinese Communist Party and what we are not doing as well as what we ought to be. Gordon is, of course, an author of a number of important books, including The Coming Collapse of China and The Great U.S.-China Tech War. He is an unbelievably prolific contributor uh, to the public policy debate through articles at the Gatestone Institute and Newsweek, among other outlets. He does an outsized job contributing also through programs like this, for which we are very grateful, and through his Twitter account, which is Gordon G. Chang, and I encourage you to follow him there as I do. Let's start with this um, sudden alarm that has been raised about one of the Belt and Road Initiative projects that has apparently been increasingly clearly intended to be less about developing a third world country's uh, infrastructure than it is about building the Chinese Communist Party's power projection capabilities. Talk about Equatorial Guiana and what we're learning about it, what it suggests more generally about this uh, this so-called BRI project. Well, there is talk that there will be a Chinese naval base in Equatorial Guiana. Um, and this follows actually talk about uh, Chinese naval bases on the west coast of Africa, including Walvis Bay uh, in Namibia. Um, but also, Frank, um, there's, there's troubling projects in our hemisphere, especially the one at Freeport in um, Grand Bahama Island, which is less fewer than 100 miles from Palm Beach. So um, many of these Chinese uh, naval uh, uh, container port projects, um, basically trade-related uh, facilities, they look like they are the precursors to uh, additional Chinese uh, military bases, especially for the Navy. And we've got to be concerned because there are a lot of them actually, not only in our hemisphere, but also very close, uh, threatening uh, trade routes. Uh, one of them, interestingly enough, Gordon, is in Peru, which has just succumbed to a communist government and takeover. Uh, this seems to have added fresh impetus behind a project for a so-called megaport on Peru's west coast. Um, we're listening to both natives of Peru, like uh, Francisco Tudela, the former first vice president of the country, and others suggesting that uh, this may be a little further away from our coast than the Freeport Island base would be, but it would be very, very strategically located if, as you suggest, they're interested in not only controlling trade routes, but uh, projecting power in the form of carrier strike groups that can be operated from that facility. Uh, this is something that, again, I think we have failed to really appreciate about the Belt and Road Initiative, and it's high time that we get on it, uh, not just in East Africa, but truly worldwide. We've done a report, as I think you know, Gordon, at the Committee on the Present Danger, China's Captive Nations Coalition, uh, which documents how in some 27, I think, countries, there is this sort of overarching objective, it seems, to essentially seize 
these assets that the Chinese have been building. Uh, if they default on payments, these countries at least, uh, and perhaps even if they don't, uh, as part of this larger hegemonic colonial empire building. Is that how you see it? Well, certainly. I and mean, we saw China take control of the Hanban Toda port in Sri Lanka, which sits astride the trading lanes in the Indian Ocean. Um, there is talk, um, still unconfirmed, that China will seize uh, the Ugandan airport of Entebbe. Um, Beijing and the civil aviation authorities of Uganda deny those reports. But nonetheless, uh, that project is in financial trouble, which means that there will be some sort of negotiations, which means that China probably will have a much larger role in the administration of that airport. So we're seeing this across the world. And the implications of it are, are still, I think, not very well understood by most of us. And so we appreciate you calling it to our attention, Gordon. Um, another area in which the Chinese are actively, seemingly, stealing a march on us as well is space. Uh, we had the vice uh, commander of Space Force, U.S. Space Force, General Thompson, warning that the Chinese are building their capabilities at twice the rate we are to exercise a presence and potentially control of space. Talk about that, Gordon, in terms of the ambitions of the Chinese and the implications, should they realize? Well, China right now can take down a lot of our satellites, including those in geosynchronous orbit, 22,000 miles uh, above the surface of the Earth. Uh, these are our nuclear command and control satellites, and we basically have no way of protecting them. This is because of a political decision uh, made both during the Trump and Biden administrations not to protect our satellites. So um, the American people, of course, should understand China's ambition. But the real story here is the failure of previous administrations to protect us. You go back to the Obama administration, where you might say original sin uh, resides. Um, and the Obama team felt, well, since we had most assets in space, we shouldn't trigger an anti-satellite competition. Um, and I can understand the logic of it, but the problem is it fundamentally misunderstands the nature of Chinese and Russian ambitions. And we were not going to entice them into restraint by exercising restraint on our own. So this is a failure, um, first and foremost, in the White House, but also in the Pentagon uh, for failing to call this out to the attention of the American public over a serious a series of administration. No, there's no question. There's a lot of blame to go around here. The question is, can we now, seeing the peril for what it is, uh, respond to it sufficiently quickly to prevent the Chinese from exercising essentially uh, an ability to prevent us from operating in space, uh, destroying those satellites with impunity or otherwise using space against us? Uh, all of which it seems is uh, is decidedly in prospect at the moment, Gordon Chang. Let me turn to Taiwan. Uh, the Biden administration has been sending, at least at the rhetorical level, uh, signals that uh, it's beginning to really take seriously the threat that the Chinese Communist represents now to the island. Uh, what do you make of um, Tony Blinken's admonitions to the Chinese uh, that an attack of the kind they seem to be preparing for against Taiwan would be a serious mistake. Well, on Friday, Tony Blinken at the Reuters Next conference issued a warning to Beijing that there would be, quote unquote, terrible consequences for China if it were to invade Taiwan. 
And yes, this is a, a step in the right direction, at least rhetorically. The, the problem I had with that, if you look at the video, Blinken doesn't seem to be terribly concerned about this when he issues those words. Um, and I think that what we need is something to convince the Chinese that we actually mean it. Um, so I believe that right now, President Biden should, from the Oval Office, issue a public warning that the United States will defend Taiwan. That's really what his instincts are. He said that to George Stephanopoulos in August. He said it, of course, to Anderson Cooper uh, in October at the CNN town hall. But unfortunately, um, you've had the White House press office, Jen Psaki, uh, the State Department pre uh, spokesman, Ned Price, and uh, the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, all walk back, for instance, those October comments. That shows disarray. That, I think, emboldens Beijing. Um, there needs to be a clear message, and it needs to be backed up by American might. It's very interesting, Gordon, and I'd, I'd love to get you know your further thoughts on this. Whether Tony Blinken was unconvincing in his sort of marker thrown down about Taiwan, or whether he is unconvinced himself that the United States is going to do anything to punish China should it engage in some sort of military action against uh, that island. The overall character of the administration, as you say, aside from these rhetorical flourishes from time to time by Joe Biden, which evidently are not reflecting US policy, may or may not even reflect his own you know, attitude for that matter, but uh, what he feels he must say at any given moment, um, only to have his spokesman say, well, what the president meant to say was <laughs> something very different. These are the sorts of things that I, I really do fear, you're right, uh, are not only emboldening the Chinese, but are convincing them that they can have their way with the Taiwanese with impunity. Yes. Uh, there, there needs to be... Um not only the right words, but there also needs to be, um, they need to be delivered in a convincing manner. You need to have a Ronald Reagan type statement. You need to have Dulles or somebody. Um, and the problem here is that I think the administration um, probably does not know what it wants to do. So I, I think that there is, um, you know, you, you, you look at, for instance, um, the Senate or the House, I'm sure that if you were to poll members there, they would come up with the right thing to do. Um, but nonetheless, I'm not so sure that the administration feels that. But in any event, you know, it's just almost um, impossible to figure out what the Biden team will do. But the point is, we can see the effect on Chinese leaders from this, this chaos. And, and if this is not just a one-time event, Frank, this was also evident in the withdrawal from uh, Afghanistan. So I think what's happening is the administration is setting a pattern and Beijing sees that pattern. And so therefore, I think it is emboldened to take um, greater steps. We have seen, of course, the um, increasing air incursions um, in Taiwan through the Air Defense Identification Zone. They are rehearsals, as Secretary Austin said at the Reagan Forum a couple days ago. Um, the administration needs to understand the urgency. This is a time issue now. It needs to get its act together and it needs to move forcefully because otherwise we will not deter China. Well, and going back to what you said about space, the history here of so-called strategic ambiguity 
with respect to Taiwan, in which we deliberately tried to keep China guessing as to how we would respond to an attack is, is simply uh, no longer tolerable. It is conducing to miscalculation, I fear, at best, and at worst, a correct calculation that there will be no cost to the Chinese for uh, military aggression against Taiwan. And that's not something we can afford to have take hold there. Gordon, let me turn to one other question that I know you've given a lot of thought to over the years. The Chinese Communist Party implemented a population control policy 40 years ago, I believe, the one-child policy, as it was called. It's now been modified to be two-child and then now three children. Um, the public in China seems not to be responding uh, very well. And in any event, the cumulative uh, effects of those earlier policies have translated into horrific demographic problems for the country. Uh, tell us, if you would, what we believe are the characteristics of that set of problems, Gordon, and their implications. And and also, if you would, uh, there is some speculation that the Chinese have in this area, as in so many others, falsely represented the true character of uh, their performance. And if that's right, again, what would the implications of that be as well? Beijing maintains that the Chinese population is continuing to grow. But it has been releasing birth statistics um, and over a period of time. And the most recent release, which was about three or four days ago, um, suggests that uh, the population fall is greater um, or the population is smaller, uh, far smaller than what Beijing says. There is a, a Chinese demographer, Yi Fuxin, at the University of Wisconsin at Madison, who believes that China's population peaked in 2018. And he puts the total fertility rate at somewhere between 0.9 and 1.1, well below China's official 1.3. Um, and we all know that uh, replacement is 2.1. In China's case, it actually may be 2.2 because of child mortality. But the point is, China is well below replacement. Chinese demographers have actually been talking about the population of China uh, falling by 150% uh, in 45 years. Now, if you take that and you multiply the numbers out to the end of the century, we're talking about a China which could have maybe a third of the people that it does now. And that, of course, would have enormous implications because this would be the steepest decline in the absence of war or disease. So China is facing a demographic crisis that it has no answer to. Um, the Communist Party Youth League about a month ago released a survey which showed that 44% of Chinese urban women do not intend to get married. And that is, of course, significant because when you look at population statistics, you look at the attitudes of females, not the attitudes of males so much. So right now, um, China has no answers to this. Um, and of course, this is going to have enormous geopolitical consequences, forcing the Chinese, I think, to move quickly because there is a closing window of opportunity. You can't intimidate others when your population is collapsing. I'm sure Beijing's leaders know that. There's been some propaganda that suggests they do see a closing window of opportunity. So uh, we are at, I think, uh, more than just a crucial point with Beijing. We're at a critical point. So much more to talk about on that score, Gordon, and I think we're going to return to it when we visit with you next. But um, just a, a closing thought, 
um, you've mentioned the attitudes of uh, women with respect to marriage. Um, the Chinese, as I understand it, uh, are very firmly opposed to having children out of wedlock. And the fact that they've killed, by some estimates, um, the bulk of the 400 million infants that were murdered through abortion in China under these various population control policies, um, it seems as though the majority of them were, in fact, uh, young children of the female uh, sex. Consequently, this problem is going to be with them, it seems, uh, for quite some time, as you say. And uh, it does raise the question to my mind, uh, do they seek women elsewhere for those uh, 40 million, I think you've said, men who are uh, without women in China at the moment? Gordon Chang, you understand that better than anyone. You do an outsized job of trying to help the rest of us understand it as well. And we so appreciate you doing so here at Secure Freedom Radio. Come back to us again next week, if you will. I hope the rest of you will come back to us again tomorrow. Same time, same station. Until then, this is Frank Afney. Thanks for listening.